0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church reminders I want to give you. First of all, I know Teresa mentioned it on the video, but uh, we are just a week and a half away from the beginning of iHeart. If you haven't signed up yet, I encourage you to do that, whether it's one day, two days, three days, all four days, doesn't matter, but we would love to have you be a part. Um, second is this. I know uh, we've been talking about the facilities and moving towards breaking ground and stuff and asking you to pray and uh, want to ask you to continue to pray. We were hoping to have our bids back uh, by f- about Friday this week and uh, we got a call from our GC and just said, hey, there's a, bit of a delay waiting on some of the subs to get some info back. So just continue to pray. I wish I had more of an update today, um, but we are getting closer, and uh, they said that this week uh, we get the bids and be able to to look at the numbers and and figure out what's up. So just continue to pray for that. What we're praying for is that some of the bids we had previously to come in a bit lower, uh, just need God to work there, and uh, and then we'll be able to, you know, like I said, commit to the project, break ground here, and I don't know, end of July, maybe beginning of August, something like that. But just keep praying for that. Appreciate it. And then finally, I realize that what I say on Sundays isn't always so profound, um, but uh, I do refer to a lot of scripture and encourage you to maybe take some notes because as we navigate Revelation 2, for instance, today, there's going to be a bunch of other verses I refer to in the Bible. and, And I think it's a good habit maybe as you take notes to look at the message later in the week, later today, something like that. It's good to write it down just so you have it. But uh, when I first uh, came to Christ, I've mentioned before, like I didn't grow up in in the church. I didn't know a whole lot of of sort of anything. And I had an encounter with Jesus that really did change me significantly. At the end of my junior year, I was going to Pilchuck. And from that point, I remember um, a friend of mine got me a new student Bible. And I didn't know a lot about the Bible, and I appreciated that. And uh, I went to the Bible bookstore and said, I don't really know much of anything. Like, what should I buy? Uh, Because I'm trying to figure this out. And I bought, they basically led me to the shelf and said, Here, and I bought New Testament theology by Leon Morris. I bought a Bible dictionary to understand the words in the Bible. And I bought a regular dictionary just to understand normal words. And, um, And I had a green JanSport backpack, and I had different colors of colored pencils and pens and pencils, and And just trying to kind of figure this whole thing out. And I remember um, I got a job at Godfather's Pizza. Anybody remember? You know, do do it, right? Anyway, so but uh, up in Marysville, I worked at. I was a delivery driver for Godfather's Pizza in my little kind of yellow pickup, and I would take my lunch break and I would study the Bible, and I carried it with me all over. And again, just really passionate about figuring things out. I got rid of a lot of music I used to listen to back then. It was cassette tapes back in the early 90s but uh, got rid of those and and started listening to a lot of Keith Green, a lot of like vineyard worship and things like that. Um, Really, again, just kind of knowing some things need to change in my life and taking on certain habits. When I bring it up, the question I have for you is when you think back to when the light bulb came on for you, when all of a sudden your faith meant something, and maybe for some of you go, I grew up in church and it's always sort of been, but I would think that there was a moment at some point in your life, and maybe you were young, maybe you were a kid, maybe you were a teenager, that the lights finally came on and you began to go, wow, what is this about? What do I need to do to figure this out? Or what sort of habits would would maybe help me move on this journey? And again, for some of you, I know there's plenty in our church that you came to faith in Christ as an adult. There are people here in this room that that even in the last few months, you've given your life to faith in Christ and you're kind of on this journey now, but what does it look like? Like in your life to consider what are those things, habits, you know, decisions, thought patterns that began to change as you took seriously the need to look at your faith and move along that journey of maturity? What was your picture like? And again, I can talk about mine and I bring up sort of the good side of it. I'm not perfect. I didn't do everything always right. In fact, at one point I remember um, in my passion, you know, sometimes zeal without knowledge is not a great thing. In my passion for like serving Jesus, there was some younger kids that had a Bible study at a a junior high in Marysville and I was going to Pilchuck and I'm like, I'm going to leave campus. I'm going to go to that school and encourage these kids during their Bible study. And I showed up there and I got suspended from school as a Christian. That was awesome. So anyway, again, things you do that aren't so great, not so smart. But anyways, um, what did it look like? Originally, when that journey began in Christ, whenever that was for you, what did that look like? And what were some of the things that you incorporated to move yourself along on that journey in Christ? I bring it up because as we look at the very first church today, and we're going to be looking at the seven churches of Revelation over the next bunch of weeks, when we look at the first church, it's the church at Ephesus. And in Revelation chapter one, I'm going to read a bunch of verses and we'll pray and we'll dive in. But it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. "'Consider how far you have fallen. "'Repent and do the things that you did at first. "'If you don't repent, I will come to you "'and remove your lampstand from its place. But, what, "'But you have this in your favor. "'You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, "'which I also hate. "'Whoever has ears, let them hear "'what the Spirit says to the churches. "'To the one who is victorious, "'I will give the right to eat from the tree of life.'" which is in the paradise of God. Jesus, today, um, even as we read your word and, and walk through it, I pray for your spirit to come alongside and again, bring that conviction that as we take a look at the picture of this church, that your spirit would do a work in each of us understanding this isn't just a picture of a church some time ago. This applies directly to us today. And my prayer is that your conviction and your work would challenge us together in Jesus name. Amen. If you missed part one, again, in person, maybe you're online. If you missed part one, I encourage you to maybe go back and listen, because we talked a bit about the seven stars, the seven churches, the lampstands, the one who walks among them. So that's Revelation chapter one. We tackled the whole chapter last week, so you can go back and listen to that. But it jumps in here to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, let me just mention the angel. The idea is the leader of the church or the pastor of the church in Ephesus. If you know the Bible at all, you know that this is not the first time Ephesus Appears in scripture. If you're taking notes, write down Acts 18, 19, and 20. In Acts chapter 18, Paul is on one of his missionary journeys and he kind of brushes into Ephesus briefly. He preaches a sermon in the synagogue. There's a group that asks him to stick around. And he's like, I've got to continue the mission that God has given me. If God wants me to come back, I will. And that's what appears in Acts chapter 18. Now, in Acts chapter 19, Paul has come back to Ephesus, and now he's gonna spend some time in the city. And in Acts chapter 19, it says that Paul arrives in Ephesus, and he preaches the message of the gospel, and a whole bunch of people are like, wow, that's awesome, I need that, I surrender, I wanna give my life to Jesus. And there's also a whole bunch of people that are like, how dare you, that's blasphemy, you're lying, and they bring some persecution. Paul performs some miracles, they realize there's power in the name of Jesus. And there's some, some basically in Acts 19, they're referred to as Jewish exorcists that try to invoke the name of Jesus. They don't believe he's the Savior, the Lord. They don't believe any of that. They just realize there's some sort of power in this name. So they try to invoke the name of Jesus during an exorcism. And it says that the person who had this demon within them rises up and severely beats them because they're trying to invoke the name of Jesus, but they don't know him. And so the spirit says, you know, I know Paul, these. Other guys, but who are you? And all of a sudden, fear grips this group of people. It says that they come together, they burn a bunch of scrolls, and they commit to the way of Jesus and and stuff. And it's pretty amazing. Paul continues to preach in Acts chapter 19. And one of the things that he preaches is there's only power in the name of Jesus. That the Lord God, our Heavenly Father, He's the only way. Jesus is God. Jesus paid the price for your sin. This is where power is. There's nothing else that matters this is Ephesus. Ephesus is the fourth largest city in the region. It's a port city with all kinds of cultures, but it also holds one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and that was the temple to the Greek goddess Artemis. And so they worship this goddess in all kinds of ways, but there's all kinds of people that go around selling trinkets and saying that there's power in these trinkets if you buy them and take them with you to wherever you came from you know that the goddess will be with you and everything will go well and paul is preaching against that idea so the business leaders come together that are involved in selling these trinkets and like, look, if this guy continues to do this, we're not going to make any money. And if we don't make any money, that's not going to be very good. So they basically bring in, you know, kind of the, the whole group of people and say, we got some problems. These are guys, these guys are trying to pervert, you know, what we understand about this temple and, you know, Artemis that appeared from heaven and all of the things we worship this is not good. A revolt happens in the city. People gather from all over the place and they're stomping and kicking dust all over the place and yelling for two hours straight, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They, they drag, they grab a couple of Paul's companions and drag them all over the city and they basically begin talking about kicking them out or, or severely beating them because it's so bad. Paul, in his passion for the gospel, is like, this is awesome. I want to preach. And they're like, Paul, calm down. You're going to get yourself killed. So then the governor, the mayor of the area says, hey, look, there is a revolt happening. And if the higher ups find out about it, because we're under this Roman occupation issue, they're going to come and they're going to discipline our city. We need to knock it off. And the whole thing disperses. So that's Acts 19 in a nutshell. When you get to Acts chapter 20, Paul continues on his missionary journey and then heads back to Jerusalem for a festival, but on his way by Ephesus, he doesn't go to Ephesus. He stops on the outskirts and says, send the elders of the church at Ephesus. I want to talk to them. And I'm going to give you this kind of briefly. I'm not going to read every verse, but in Acts chapter 20, verses 18 through 38, He gives a message to the elders of the church. And what he says, again, briefly is, hey, you guys need to lead with diligence. You guys need to deal with false teaching. You guys need to be very aware of the condition of your flock, how they're doing, how you're leading them, what they're believing, what they're not believing. There are some people that are going to come in and pervert the way. There are some people that are leading in your church right now that are false teachers. You need to be aware of that. And and basically, I'm going to head out. I'll probably never see you again do your best to lead like you're supposed to under the covering of Jesus. They weep together. They send him off. He heads to Jerusalem and they never see him again. That's Acts 18, 19, and 20 where Ephesus appears. Later on when Paul is in prison, he writes a letter to the church. You and I know this as what we call the book of Ephesians. It's a letter to the church at Ephesus. The basic themes when you read, it's six chapters, when you read it are There are Jewish believers in Christ and there are Gentile believers in Christ and you have different backgrounds and different belief systems but you've got to figure out how to walk in unity. This isn't about your works and what you can do to make things right. This is by God's grace but you need to protect unity and not allow these divisions to destroy you guys. Be careful. And then he goes on to talk about how you and I, how the church is called to live as followers of Jesus, incorporating virtues moving away from vices and becoming more like Christ and holiness. So that's in a nutshell, Ephesians. As you continue to read through the Bible, Paul writes to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. In First Timothy 1, he warns him or challenges him as a leader in the church at Ephesus to take care or be aware of false teachers that are trying to come in. The same thing comes up in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when he's writing also to Tim. Paul is writing to Timothy, hey, be aware of false teaching. So when you look at Ephesus, those are kind of in a nutshell all the different places that you see a picture of of, of Ephesus in the Bible aside from Revelation. And then you get to Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 where Jesus has a message for the church. And the message starts out, like I said, to the angel. uh, And then he says, whoops, wrong page. Uh, And then he says, uh, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And again, we talked about that last week. It says, verse two, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. Okay, This goes right along with what Paul was dealing with in Acts chapter 20, with what Paul was dealing with as he's challenging Timothy to deal with false teaching, and some of what is written in Ephesians. It's all the same theme. You guys are diligent, you guys are passionate, you guys are awesome, and you also are dealing with false teachers. That's a really, really good thing. Keep it up. Now, there's all kinds of verses, and you can write these down real quick. 1 Corinthians 15, 58... Second 2 Timothy 2.15, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 22, and First Timothy 1. The reason I bring all of those up is because over and over, and this is why I talk about studying scripture, I'm going to emphasize this in a little bit, uh, a few minutes now, Um The reason I bring those up is because over and over in these verses, and there's plenty of others, but over and over in these verses, Paul has challenged the church in these contexts to to be aware of their teaching, to guard what they're learning, to to, to be diligent and passionate about what they believe. And so it goes right along with what's being said in verses 2 and 3. And then you get to verse 4, and it says, yet I hold this against you, and this is where the encouragement Opens up, and then you move to, but here's a problem. And he says, yeah, this is what I have against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now, I pause intentionally. And what I mentioned from the beginning of this message is a question I want to bring to you. When you think back to some of those things that early on in your faith in Jesus, and for some of you, it's not that long ago, but early on in your faith in Jesus, what were those things that I asked about a minute ago? What were those things I said, hey, these are what is enhancing your ability to grow in your maturity. These are the virtues that are helping you. Maybe it was a pattern of commitment to prayer, and every morning at you know, 7, from 7 to 7.30, or 6 to 6.30, or or eight eight or whatever, I commit to spending some time learning how to pray to God. Maybe it's a habit of reading scripture. Maybe it's, it's listening to some worship and while you may not sing well, just like me, I don't either, but you commit to worshiping and singing out praise to God. Habits that help move you along in maturity. When you think back to some of those things and you think of today, would you say that you're as sharp as you were then? Were you as stirred as you were then to walk this journey with Jesus? I had somebody last week meet me in the lobby and I talked about kind of the overview of the seven churches last week a little bit. And and I had somebody say to me, hey, you know, I appreciate what you're saying, but I have a question for you. I said, what's your question? They said, one of the things I struggle with is this. There are times where I feel super, super passionate about Jesus, but there's times where I don't and I'm not sure what to do when I don't. Now, I'm gonna give you a real blunt answer that I told this guy in the lobby last week. I said, here's what you have to understand. You and I cannot live by how we feel because it's not about how we feel. It's about remaining committed, even though we don't always feel like we want to be committed to our faith in Jesus. And if every one of us is honest about our journey in Jesus, we have those seasons, those moments, those those spans of time where we maybe don't feel it, but we still live it out because that's the right thing to do. I would say, and I've said it many times before, it's the same as marriage. I don't wake up after 24 years of marriage and roll over and look at my wife every morning and my heart melts. And you're like, you got a problem. I'm just being honest with you. And if anybody in this room has been married for any more than let's say a week or two, you're like, this is horrible. There are other great churches out there, you guys, and I'm sure you could find something. I'm just being, look, I've been married 24 years. I don't, I don't stay married based on how I feel. And I'll be honest with you. There are days where I absolutely feel it and my heart does melt, but there are days where I don't, but I'm still committed because I love my wife, period, not because of emotion. And some of you would do well to learn that when it comes to marriage, as well as your faith in Jesus. I say to my wife all the time, look, she, she, I'm like, you know what? i married up, which automatically means you married down. And I'm sorry about that. (laughs) I I think at least once a week I'll say to my wife, I'm sorry you married me, but I'm just being real. Like, like, look, I, I realize that you're better than I am. You make me better because we're married. She's amazing, but it doesn't mean I always feel it. The same is true for our faith and our commitment to Christ. It's not about how we feel. And there are times when, especially for a lot of people early on in this journey in Jesus, there are people, and it, it happens maybe weekly, but maybe not every week, people that come into a gathering like this. And, and as the, the, the band plays and worship is happening, people that are moved. And some people will weep before the Lord. And, and I can go back and look at 31 years of following Jesus and tell you there are definitely seasons and times where I've had those moments. And I could definitely go back to early on. With Jesus and go it probably felt more common back then but here's the warning it's amazing how oftentimes people will show up and enjoy the experience and it feels emotional and rightly so but that can wane the problem sometimes with the emotion of it waning is that people go yeah I'm just not gonna go today well I'm just gonna I'm not I'm reading the bible thing I'm just kind of busy I'd rather read something else or I'm gonna flip through social media or whatever it would be and what happens as that continues is that they, they kind of put Jesus in the back seat. And in life in general, when Jesus is in the back seat, he doesn't just stay there. I mean, symbolically, the whole idea, he ends up in the trunk and back a ways and pretty soon you're like, how did I get here? And all of a sudden our faith is somewhere back in the background. And that's where you get a lot of stories of people that go, well, I used to go to church, or I did the church thing or whatever. But what it comes back to is, Hey, realize that some of those things that happened at first, God wants us to stoke the fires of that obedience, not because we feel it, because it's the right thing to do. It's part of what it means to be disciplined in anything. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And then this, and this is verse five, consider how far you have fallen. Stop. The reason Jesus says it is because there's something important about you and I stopping, collaborating, listening. No, it's so, okay. Some of you got that, some of you didn't. All right. Um, but it is important in that sentence stop. When you go back to what Paul says in Acts chapter 20 to the church at Ephesus, when he's saying it to the leaders, he's saying, take inventory of your leadership and the people. I would say that that Jesus would say in the same way as John is writing it here in Revelation 2, stop and take inventory. Consider how far you have fallen. Stop and think about it. Where were you? And where are you now? Now? What were those things early on that helped you lean into Jesus and are those things still as active in your life or not? Are there other things that you've invited into your life that you know, and I would say by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, some of you hear his voice right now. There are things that you've brought into your world that are not going to help you mature and in fact could wreck your life. You talk about off the rails. You talk about like signals and speed limits and warning signs and a conductor that's supposed to pay attention to those things and that's who you are. Are you aware of the Holy Spirit flashing in your life right now? There's some stuff there. It's not helping you. And I would say oftentimes if it's not helping, there's a good chance it's hindering you. Consider the height from which you've fallen and then repent. Simply understood, repentance is if you're heading this direction and the Holy Spirit is saying don't go that direction. The word of God is saying don't go that direction. The warning signs from people that love you and care deeply through the lens of faith are that you're going that direction, don't, is to turn around and go the other way. It's Jonah and Nineveh. It's don't go that way. It's killing you. Repent. Go the other way. Repent and do the things you did at first. Go back. What were the things that were sharpening your faith? What were the things that were helping you lean into who Jesus is? What were the things that were giving you the strength to overcome the temptation that wants to destroy you and I all the time? What were those things? Bring those back into your life. Repent and do the things you did at first. And then this warning, if you do not repent, the vision John has of Jesus intermingling with the church at Ephesus is, he comes and removes the lampstand the light doesn't get to shine anymore. And, and two things to understand here. One, by the nature of you and I not living in repentance when we need to, of you and I dealing with how's my first love and how's my passion and some of the habits that I need to continue on in my life. And if I don't deal with the Holy Spirit saying, involve these things, stay away from these things and do what I need to do, then light no longer shines then pretty soon, you and I, if you're in here and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you and I look exactly like the world. And we go out into the world to shine light, but light doesn't shine. And here's the danger of it. Not only does light not shine, people that know you're a church person, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, begin to believe that allowing certain things in your life and in your heart and your habits to be in your life and being a part of a Christian community... Well, it's hypocritical, they don't see it that way. They see it as, oh, that's cool, I can do that, even though, you know, that label Christian is, is in the picture. If they do it, I could do it too. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about generosity. And I've taught this not too long ago. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are light, if the eyes are good, the whole body's full of light. If the eyes are bad, the whole body is full of darkness. Jesus says this, and this is just a little snippet, but he says, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? See, what happens is you and I say, I want to I commit my life to Jesus. I want to serve him. It's the same thing the church at Corinth did. The same thing some of the, the church at Rome had an issue with. They were saying, God's grace forgives me every time I come to him and ask for forgiveness. Therefore, I can surrender my life to Jesus and then do whatever I want to do because God's grace is enough. And on top of God's grace being enough, the more I repent and people see that I repent, the more God's grace is displayed. Isn't that a good thing? That was their argument. Paul's answer to that both times is, you and I don't use God's grace as an opportunity for the flesh to do what we want to do, but rather we serve one another in love. He says we died to the flesh. We died to those things that destroy us. See, Jesus says to the church at Ephesus that that for you and I repent of those things that hold us back. If we don't repent, the light gets removed from our lives. We're no longer shining light. That, by the way, as you continue on, is one of the issues with, with the, the, the behavior of the Nicolaitans, which comes up in uh, in verse uh, 6. He says, if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. In studying this out, there, there's two kind of trains, there's three trains of thought. One is we don't really know who they are or what the details are, so let's move on. Two other trains of thought are this. One, to define Nicolaitans is to understand it has something to do with leadership, and in the church, people rising up to be leaders, and what happens is they abuse their leadership so that others have to sort of subject themselves to their leadership. It's, it's what you see in, in Jesus' day in the Gospels and the religious leaders, the priests, you know, lording over the people. If you remember, I think it's Matthew 23, 24, where he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. For on the outside you look amazing, but inside you're trash. He says, uh, You know, you, you guys go, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You, you go over land and sea to win a single convert, but then when they're converted, you make them twice as son of hell as you. Jesus didn't mince words. So uh, one group would say, Theologically, this group of people were people that believed in some sort of leadership, that it was a hierarchy, and they're up here, and everyone else is down here, and they lord over them just like what happened in Jesus' day. And yet, if you and I are readers and studies of Scripture, what did Jesus say about leadership? Does anybody know? If you want to be great, huh? Everybody say the word Serve. Jesus said, if you want to be great, serve, be the slave of all in the world. It looks like this leadership and you start down here and you work your way up into lower management and middle management and, and and second in command. And then finally you're the CEO, you're the top dog and everybody's below you. And Jesus says, it doesn't look like this. It looks like this in the kingdom. You start here and you work your way down and serving and serving and serving and loving so that you're the slave of all that's greatness. And he proved it not only by going to the cross, by washing the disciples feet he showed us. So for some would say the Nicolaitans were a group that lorded over others. Another group would say it's people that took advantage of God's grace and said, because of God's grace, by defining who they were, God's grace is something that we can use all the time to do whatever we want to do. And then simply go, okay, God, forgive me. And he sort of does. And that's not how it works. And I already mentioned why. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. That's part of the old covenant, Old Testament Shema. And I'm not going to get into that in detail today, but but the general idea is this. When you hear something like, I'm trying to help you understand today, don't let it go in one ear and out the other. You can't afford spiritually to hear this conversation and walk out and simply feel better, but have nothing change. The goal, and I always pray it, but the goal is always, Lord, based on what I understand today, and today it's about the church in Ephesus, based on what I understand today, God, where in my life have I forsaken my first love? Where in my life have I entertained things that are holding me back? Where in my life am I putting on the shelf The things that have helped me become who I was supposed to become in Jesus. Because if I don't respond in repentance and going back to those right things, I don't get to become who I'm supposed to be. And it means I don't get to shine the light I'm supposed to shine to a world that needs it. Don't just hear it. May it do something in all of our hearts that challenges us to change what we're doing. That holiness is part of who we are, not because we're working for our salvation. But because at the end of the day, that allows us to be set apart from a world that goes, you're just like the world. And it's not in physical appearance, but that we carry ourselves like this. Like talk about uh, forgiveness is a great example. That that there's so many Christians that that walk in bitterness and anger and resentment and written people off and angry in all kinds of ways. And they navigate, you know, relationships with the world looks just the same. That's what the world does. Jesus has lived different. Forgive everybody. You're like, oh boy, he went there. Happy 4th of July. Um, <laughs> whoever has ears, let him hear. Listen up. Let your, don't just hear the words. Let your soul pay attention to this. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. While in this series we're taking on uh, Revelation one, two, and three, I'm going to be referring to some other spots in Revelation. And if you're taking notes, you can write down Revelation 22 verses one through three. One of the cool things about Scripture, when you begin to look at the whole of it and, and get into the details of it and all that, is that it starts out when you read Genesis, for instance, and it talks about creation and it talks about this, you know, Adam and Eve, and 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 they're in the garden, and there's a tree, and then you get to the middle of the scriptures, and it says in Psalm chapter 1, for you and I, if we want to be virtuous, we would be like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season. And when you get to the very end, the last chapter of scripture, Revelation 22, it talks about everything being made new. This is at the end of all kinds of stuff in the middle in Revelation. And in chapter 22, it talks about this whole new order of things. And it gives this picture of a new Jerusalem. And it says this, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. That's Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. On each side of the river, here it is, stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any more curse. Someday in eternity, the angel reveals to John, everything will be made right. But part of the symbolism that the angel reveals to the church at Ephesus is if you persevere, you get to enjoy that. And there's more of it. And we'll talk about it through each church in the coming weeks. Smyrna next week's another good one. But again, it's this beautiful picture of what God has prepared for you and I as we live and surrender to him. Have you forsaken your first love? Would you say that maybe those things that you started with, and for some, again, it could be years ago, decades ago even, and for some, maybe it's even just months ago, just recently. Have you forsaken your first love? Is the Holy Spirit maybe right now just doing some inventory in your heart hey, there's some stuff that I got to repent of. And I would imagine as you and I consider, like it said, stop and listen to the spirit, that there's some stuff that'll be revealed. And the beauty of what's revealed is not that we feel horrible, but that we allow the conviction of the spirit to go, Lord, I repent of that. God, would you forgive me? And would you take that? And after the word repent, bring into your life those things that have helped you in the past, those things that brought virtue to you, those things that leaned you into becoming more like Jesus. And there's all kinds of examples. And we could hold another message on you know reading scripture and our prayer lives and worship, friendship, community, the gathering, the beauty of nature, all kinds of ways that, that were sharpened and filled up. But my prayer in this message, and it's for me too. And I, I honestly, I, I said before, like the, this message when I was studying for it a couple weeks back, brought me to tears like God. I remember the green Jan sport backpack. And I remember being off in corners, hanging out with my friends and I'd be studying the Bible and they're learning music. And I remember being in my lunch break in my little pickup truck at Godfather's, trying to study the Bible. Sandra worked there too, I remember that. But Lord, I don't wanna be guilty of forsaking my first love. And I don't believe for a minute just because we're in Jesus for any length of time, that we'll just end up being average and apathetic and cold, it's just the way it goes. I don't believe that. Father, today, I just pray you'd continue to reveal to all of us, not one person in this room excluded, to all of us, any ways that we've forsaken our first love. That I'm a a wholehearted believer, that at the core in our lives, God, you and, and, and our relationship with you is the axis around with which everything else rotates. Every relationship, every motive, every issue, every, every negative thing that God, stuff you said, get, get that out of the, 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 the rotation there. Father, would you do your work through your spirit to reveal to us those things we have to repent of, walk away from, be done with, and then we pray. God, would you do that? Take that from me? And there's other things, some of those things from early on. Hey, get back to those disciplines. Get back to those habits because we are on a journey of maturity that helps us shine light. And we don't want that taken away. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.